the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Question, does God ever get tired of you? Well, we read in Scripture He does, but does He ever give up? That's the question. We'll explore all of this next. Join us. It's an odd question, but one that bears delving into. Does God ever get tired of you? Well, here in Isaiah chapter 40, we get a clear indication that he does. How he responds to that weariness with us and what he does is the subject of our time today and tomorrow. So please join us as we examine what God does when he does weary of us. And what should we do? These are questions we're exploring next. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, let's catch up with Pastor Phil Howard for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. We begin in Isaiah chapter 43. Do you ever get tired of God? God forbid. Do you ever get tired in serving God? We all do, one way or the other, uh, from time to time. Then I got to thinking, does God ever get tired of us? And you know what he does? And let me show you a verse uh, to back this up. Look at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse 24. Well, we'll go back to 22. You did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. They were giving them to the idols. God was being whacked off. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have... Mm. Does God ever get weary of you? He got weary of them always. The only time they showed up is when they sinned. They didn't show up to make an offering, a worship, thank you offering. It was their sins. Is all they ever put on God. And just give you another example. Look at Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 2, verse 17. Malachi. Some feel he's Italian. That would make it Malachi. Uh, but uh, two seventeen, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. What a day. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? He's tired of you calling evil good. He's weary of it. Someone asked me the other day, how did I know when when most politicians were lying? I said, when their lips are moving. Uh, 
Your hopes in politics? Get used to put, get used to being lied to. We don't know who's telling the truth anymore. Not in the public square. But now we come to something here in Isaiah 40. Let me give you the setting. Uh, the prophet has given us 39 chapters of dismal judgment. And if you read through the Bible like Carol and I do, we dread the Isaiah 1 through 39 devotion reading. Say, what did you read for devotion today? How God's going to kill Edom. How he's going to knock off the Philistine. Man, that encourages me. Maybe he's going to knock off my neighbor. I mean, it's pretty dismal stuff. And especially, I don't like the way the navigator's doing it now. They set you up for Isaiah in the morning and Jeremiah in the evening. Any on the reading chart? You're sure depressed. Because it's judgment, judgment. But when we come to chapters 40 through 66, Isaiah is prophesying the Babylonian captivity of Israel and their return from the exile and coming back. It's prophetic. He's not even alive when it's fulfilled. Because he's back here. Assyria took on the northern tribes about 606. Judah went into captivity about 586 B.C. Isaiah's already passed away. But he writes as a prophetic future. This is what God's going to say to the returning exiles from Babylon and even those taken into captivity. And he starts out and he says, I want you to tell my people how great a God I am. The God they traded for the gods of Babylon and Assyria. They made a trade. Jeremiah 2 says, has anybody ever heard of a people trading in their God? And he says, Israel, you've traded me in. You gave up your glory. And so he's going to talk about his majesty because he's in the first part. He's trying to comfort a weary, exiled, uh, persecuted people. All they suffer immensely at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and that captivity. And then he's going to tell them, uh, how can such a majestic God have such a weak people? And we'll look at that. And then finally, he's going to deal with the subject. Just because God is great is not comforting unless he's gracious. To know that my enemy is great is no comfort. It just increases my fear. Just to know the doctor graduated at the top of his class, but I can't afford him, doesn't give me any hope. And so Isaiah at the end says... God wants you to know his greatness can be accessed because he's gracious to his weak people. Let's look at his greatness. The majesty of God. And it's said in order to comfort these people. Look at Isaiah. We're going to cover 31 verses. So get ready to move. And you, that your hands are frozen. You fill in the blanks. You did like that. Okay. Uh, He... Says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. She's paid for all of her sins. I'll see to it. I'm going to take her into captivity. I'm going to let her be under Marduk, the Babylonian god. I'm going to let you live under these pagans that you have fallen in love with. And you're going to pay. You're going to suffer. And finally now, God sends a message to Isaiah. Tell them when they've come back, 
I'm done dealing with their rebellion and sin. The exile will have done its job. Comfort my people. Comfort my people. And so he tells them in verses 1 and 2, relief is coming. Uh, I want you to be comforted. Then in verses 3 to 5, he said, Messiah is coming. Uh, The exile hasn't got rid of Messiah. John the Baptist is coming. He's going to say, prepare you the way of the Lord. So I just want you to know the Messiah is on target. He's still coming. No matter your backsliding, your exile. Comfort them. He says in verses 6 through 8, man is fading like the grass in the morning that's gone at night. But the word of the Lord will never fade. It endures forever. So everything God has said in his word to you, to Abraham, to David, to Jeremiah, that word you can count on, it doesn't go out of season, it doesn't die. The word of the Lord is forever. Comfort my people. Have them run to my promises. Then he tells them that go up on the high mountain, tell Jerusalem, behold your God, and tell them, I'm going to carry them like a lamb, like a shepherd carries a lamb, and I'm going to guide them. Tell my people they're as vulnerable, as nearsighted, as helpless, as uh, dumb, as wayward as a sheep, but I have volunteered to be the shepherd. And the sheep get from here to there, not based on their intelligence, not based upon their ability to protect, not based on... They get there because they're in the shepherd's care. Tell Israel, tell Judah, I am going to carry them as a lamb in my arms. He's trying to comfort his people. Tell them that. Well, he goes on. And uh, he tells them, uh, I, I love this because in chapter 46, he said, I carry my people here. 46, he said, you carry your idols. And he talks about Baal. And he talks about this nearly topples over. And you have to get strong oxen. And you have to nail it down. You've got to take care of your gods. You've got to take care of them. Isn't it amazing how much energy you spend waxing, insuring, and taking care of your gods. It takes a lot of money to be a good idol worshiper. A lot of investment and no return. Because remember, these idols can't talk. They can't walk. They can't even keep from stumbling if the ox doesn't watch. And he writes in chapter 46, 43, Your idols make you look stupid. Men are carving them out of wood. They're putting a little gold if they're... You know, if their 401k is doing good, you put a little gold on it. If you're a poor boy, you just use wood. This is your God. This is what you picked over me, Israel. Well, I carry you. I'm not asking you to carry me. Get get this in your mind. Hear me. God is self-sufficient. He needs nothing in the created order. He doesn't need angels. He doesn't need matter. He doesn't need space. He doesn't need geography. He doesn't need you or me. Sometimes people have this, we meet a need in God. What need do you meet in God? You've been a liability ever since he started with you. 
You consume resources. You don't feel anything. And they say, well, why did God create me if I don't feel a need? Wasn't he lonely back there? No. There's always been a family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, well, did the Father ever get worship? Yes, he had two members of the Godhead that worshipped him. What about the Son? The other two members worshipped the Son. Uh, well, well, there's something in you. One thing they didn't have back here is any manifestation of grace. Because when you have unfallen perfect beings, they never need grace. So God says, I'm going to show creation something about me that they would never guess in a million years. I'm going to let angels fall. And get this, in my grace, I will not rescue them. I will not rescue angels. But man made a little bit lower. When he sins and blow it, I'm going to rescue him. Not because I need him. I'm going to show him how great I am. I made man to show off my greatness. And like service, giving offerings. God just included you in the program to make you a part of something great. He's doing the pulling. He's got the yoke. You know, I think of my little Elizabeth. When we, I used to be in the backyard, her especially. Deborah wasn't inclined to yard work. But uh, uh, Elizabeth would come. I remember she's little, about two years old. And I'd be working, doing some yard work. And even AJ does this. They'll come, get a hold of the rake and let me help you rake. Help me rake. You're costing me time, honey. Get up. But you can't say that because you're a godly man. And, and, and pretty soon they go back in the house. Mom, I helped daddy. They helped daddy? No, 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 no. But, but you, you lied to them. Thanks for your help. You know, they, they just touched the rake. Thanks for your help. Get in the house and get with your mother. See, God's letting you get in on his program, but he doesn't need you. You need him. He's the first one I ever tied up with that's got anything worth living for. He's the only one doing a project that when the world's on fire and passes away with fervent heat, what we're investing in, you can't burn up. It's going to last forever. Because I'm going to a city whose foundations are in the heavens and they can't be touched by fire. And you better say amen. You've never been a part of anything great. Your family, blue bloods, bunch of hoodlums. <laughs> bunch of poor folks. Bunch of this. All of a sudden, I'm in a royal family. I'm now related to Abraham. I'm related to Jacob. Hey, David, I'm going to be in the kingdom and don't boss me around because I'm the wife of the king. I'm the bride of Christ. Don't be issuing any orders to me. I go direct to Messiah. How did this Gentile boy get to the table? He included me and he included you. We're at the table. I work with a lot of precious Jewish people and I always tell them, I'm no goyim, stupid Gentile. I'm a son of God. I'm at the table. And don't treat me like I'm a stepchild because I got birthrights to be at this table. I came through Messiah. I got to calm down. I got a lot more ground to cover. If they don't like it, they just... mm. (laughs) Now, 
He's going to tell them, show my people who I am. And he gives this way, tell them the task that I perform. Verses 12 through 14. What can our God do? Well, look at this, 12 through 14. He's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. That's this, right in here. Wait, 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 wait. God, you know how much water is in the Atlantic and the Pacific and the Indian Ocean and the Mediterranean. You, you, you know that. <laughs> you want me to believe that? Yeah. It's a figure of speech, right? Just figure it out. That is what I am to all the waters of the earth. They just fit in my palm. And if you ask me how many gallons, I could tell you. Not bad. Then, what else? Oh, enclose the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me, Isaiah, that this God of Israel has taken all the mountains of the earth and, as it were, put them in a scale, and he can tell you what they weigh. Anybody ever gone over the Continental Divide in the Rockies? Ever been there? It's majestic. The Rockies, the Sierras. Now, these are just, you know, these aren't the Alps. These aren't the Himalayas. But God says, I can tell you what they weigh. I weigh them. Imagine the immense infinitude and greatness of this God. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? He's never booked a consultant appointment. Nobody has taught God anything ever. He knows everything. And he knew you before you existed. And still went ahead and let you be born. Mm. God, if I knew what my kids were going to do, I don't know about had any, you know. Your parents talk that way. God says, I know the end from the beginning. I don't need time to find out. I don't go to school. I know it all. Nobody has consulted me. This is how you ought to make a hippopotamus. Oh, by the way, if you do the mountains, I'd do it this way. Who, who said it? No one's consulted him. I don't take in advice. I give it. So quit trying to teach God in your prayers. He already knows. Just show up and say, I'm in a mess and I need help. He said, I knew it. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> and look, then he goes on and talks about the nations. The nations are like a drop from a bucket. China, you mean, with a billion people? India, with a billion? They're a drop. Are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. And in that great nation of Lebanon, Lebanon's where the uh, cedars were grown and where fat cattle grew up. It was a very uh, uh, prosperous land. And that's where they went to get lumber. And he said, if you run up to Lebanon and you cut down every tree and you kill all the bulls of Bashan, you can't build a fire big enough and put enough animals on an altar to even come up to what I'm worth. What you are trying to impress, I'm beyond being impressed. 
I'm great. You see, I made all those trees grow. I'm the one that let all those cattle be born. He said, don't look to the nations, they're passing. Then he said, the great men of the earth. The great men of the earth. He compares them, first of all, with idols. He said, uh, look at this, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? See, God was always competing for their attention. So they're comparing him to the other gods. Oh, what likeness compare with him? An idol? (laughs) A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. You don't want your God to rot. You just can't have a rotten God. He seeks out skilled craftsmen to set up an idol that will not move. But they did move, didn't they? You remember when the Philistines set up Dagon? When at his temple they put the ark. And the next day Dagon was on its face. It's hard for idols to hang out with God. They don't do good. They topple. It it just, the ground gets kind of unsettled. Then he goes on about the great men of the earth. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. This is the world. It looks like grasshoppers to him. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing. Not only are the people of the world like grasshoppers. Now in 23, 24, he says, He brings princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Martin, Alexander wept when he was 29 that there were no more worlds to conquer and died. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Oh, you princes of the earth, wherever we find you, Saddam, we'll find you hiding like a rat in a hole in the ground. You that could liquidate Iranians and rattle your sword and invade Kuwait. Your days will be few for you will not only be hiding like a rat, we'll hang you. Your days are numbered. Nebuchadnezzar, you won't last. Oh, Sennacherib. Oh, let's go up and invade Jerusalem. And when he does it, he starts taunting Hezekiah. And telling them, we're going to wipe you out. And poor old Hezekiah says, please don't talk to us in Hebrew. It's going to scare everybody on the wall. They hear this. And he said, our God, Isaiah's right. They said, tell them our God will deliver. And they yell back and said, that's what all the other kingdoms have said. Their gods will deliver. Don't be stupid enough to think your God will deliver. Your God and you will fall like the rest. Strange things happen in the night, though. 185,000 of them killed that night. And Sennacherib goes back to his homeland where his boys take up their knives and kill their dad in the temple. It's a dangerous thing to mock God. The God of Israel is not like the God of any other country. 
This is the awesome God. This is the great God. This is the God that Sennacherib, tonight you and your army will flee. I'm in charge. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spending God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time today, while Pastor Phil is the pastor emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, we are still very much a part of this body And if you are looking for a church, we would invite you to join us. Now, we know that this current crisis has us all sequestered away. So you can join us at valleybible.org, where we stream our services. Again, valleybible.org. And then, as we find ourselves released from this quarantine, we will be meeting together here in Hercules. And for information, directions, and details, again, visit valleybible.org. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name.